it was easy to lose count. His father had once recited all the Sunday services on a Saturday, and he had had to do them again the next day. Thomas surreptitiously made the sign of the cross. He was a priest's bastard, and that was said to bring bad luck. He shivered. There was a heaviness in the air that owed nothing to the setting sun, nor to the rain clouds, nor to the mist. God help us, he thought. But there was an evil in this dusk, and he made the sign of the cross again, and said a silent prayer to St. Gallus and his obedient bear. There had been a dancing bear in London, its teeth nothing but rotted yellow stumps, and its brown flanks matted with blood from its owner's goad. The street dogs had snarled at it, slunk about it, and shrank back when the bear swung on them. How far to Durham? Eleanor asked, this time speaking French, her native language. Tomorrow, I think. Thomas answered, still gazing north to where the heavy dark was shrouding the land. She asked, he explained in English to Father Hobb, when we would reach Durham. Tomorrow, pray God, the priest said. Tomorrow you can rest. Thomas promised Eleanor in French. She was pregnant with a child that, God willing, would be born in the springtime. Thomas was not sure how he felt about being a father. It seemed too early for him to become responsible. But Eleanor was happy, and he liked to please her, and so he told her he was happy as well. Some of the time that was even true. And tomorrow, Father Hobb said, we shall fetch our answers. Tomorrow, Thomas corrected him, we shall ask our questions. God will not let us come this far to be disappointed. Father Hobb said, and then, to keep Thomas from arguing, he laid out their meagre supper. That's all that's left of the bread, he said, and we should save some of the cheese and an apple for breakfast. He made the sign of the cross over the food, blessing it, then broke the hard bread into three pieces. We should eat before nightfall. Darkness brought a brittle cold. A brief shower passed, and after it the wind dropped. Thomas slept closest to the byre door, and some time after the wind died he woke because there was a light in the northern sky. He rolled over, sat up, and he forgot that he was cold, forgot his hunger, forgot all the small, nagging discomforts of life, for he could see the grail, the holy grail. The most precious of all Christ's bequests to man, lost these thousand years and more. And now he could see it, glowing in the sky like shining blood, and about it, bright as the glittering crown of a saint, rays of dazzling shimmer filled the heaven. Thomas wanted to believe. He wanted the grail to exist. He thought that if the grail were to be found, then all the world's evil would be drained into its depths. He so wanted to believe, and that October night he saw the grail like a great burning cup in the north, and his eyes filled with tears so that the image blurred, yet he could see it still. And it seemed to him that a vapour boiled from the holy vessel. Beyond it, in ranks rising to the heights of the air, were rows of angels, their wings touched by fire. All the northern sky was smoke and gold and scarlet, glowing in the night as a sign to doubting Thomas. O oh Lord! 
he said aloud, and he threw off his blanket and knelt in the buyer's cold doorway. Oh, Lord! Thomas? Eleanor, beside him, had awoken. She sat up and stared into the night. Fire! she said in French. C'est un grand incendie. Her voice was awed. C'est un incendie? Thomas asked, then came fully awake and saw there was indeed a great fire on the horizon from where the flames boiled up to light a cup-shaped chasm in the clouds. There is an army there, Eleanor whispered in French. Look. She pointed to another glow, farther off. They had seen such lights in the sky in France, flame lights reflected from cloud where England's army blazed its way across Normandy and Picardy. Thomas still gazed north, but now in disappointment.